Christine. Morning again, everyone. We live, I reckon at least, in a pretty individualistic society. Everyone, everything seems to be about me. Um, well, not about Paul, but in my world it's about Paul, in yours it's about Trav or whoever else it might be. Uh, But everything seems to be about me, advertisements telling me the things that I need to make me better or to make me more comfortable in life. I have a car, I have a television, my computer. Uh, Now, me actually as Paul, I have two beautiful young daughters in Phoebe and Chelsea, and one of the words, and I'm sure I'm not the only parent here, one of the words I hear most throughout my week is mine, all the time. My book, that's mine. My food, my Barbie, (laughs) my Paw Patrol car, or Paw Patrol everything at the minute, even when it's not hers, mind you. Uh, But I believe my girls pick this up intrinsically because we live in this individualistic society. Living this way, I am person number one. I or me and my family are the ones who matter most above all. And while there might be times where I do look outside of the me and my family, often I only do so in ways that are still convenient for me that don't really affect or come at a cost to me and my family. Uh, just last weekend, uh, Amanda was out playing volleyball. I made the very ridiculous decision to take Phoebe and Chelsea out to the shops. Uh, I'm not taking Chelsea to the shops for another three years, uh, at least. Uh, trying to pay at the self-serve in Big W. She runs out the door. Then the girl at the checkout's laughing at me as I've dropped everything and gone to the show. Anyway, uh, that's not the point. What is on the way into these shops in Lilydale, we walked past uh, this man that was obviously doing it tough. Turns out he was homeless and he was begging at the front of uh, the shopping centre. Now, when walking past uh, Phoebe, my daughter was adamant that, hey, w- w- we have to help this man. So we went and we chatted to him. Um, we got to know a little bit about his story uh, and we spoke to him and offered to buy him some food, which he declined, but he said that he, he'd really appreciate a coffee. So, We went and we bought him a coffee and a muffin, even though he didn't ask for food to go with it. We went back. He was very appreciative. But for us in that instance, we did the right thing, absolutely. And I was proud of my daughter, Phoebe, for wanting to help someone, even though she knew it was prolonging her getting the treat we were actually at the shops for. But on a whole, it was really convenient for me to be generous in that instance. We were already at the shops anyway, and I thought, I'm happy to spend 10 to $15 to have my girls occupied for an extra 10 to 15 minutes. We were generous and we helped this man, but it was all pretty convenient and easy for me to do so. We had the time, we could afford it. Sorry, I've lost my place. Anyway, we had the time, we could afford it, and I even benefited from doing so in my girls having something to do. But it got me thinking later on when John asked me to do this message and he titled it Radical Generosity, it got me thinking, what if I walked past this man without my girls? 
what if I walked past him later at night, it was colder, it was wet, maybe I was running late for a meeting and I was just quickly ducking in to get something. What if I couldn't actually really afford the 10 to $15 out of my pocket to help someone else? Would I still have been generous if it had that real effect on me? What about you? In this individualistic society, do you naturally think about others? Are you generous at all? And if you are, are you generous only when it's convenient to you? Or are you still generous when it hurts? In a way, it might cost you something back. When we open God's Word, the Bible, we see that regardless of the culture that we live in as followers of Jesus, we are called to a different standard. We are called to be different to our society. And as Christians, we are called to always think of others and to be generous. But not only when it's convenient to us, we are called to radical generosity, the kind of generosity we commit to, even when it might cost us something in return. And it's this radical generosity that we're going to have a short look at this morning. So let me pray and then we'll open God's Word to Matthew chapter 5. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. And for all you've so graciously done for us, thank you that we can gather freely here this morning and we can worship you, unite around our love for you. And Lord, now as we have the privilege to open your word, we just pray and expect that you, through your Holy Spirit, reveal more to us of who you are, reveal more to us of who we are, reveal more to us of how offensive our sin is towards you and our great need for a saviour that you won't provide but rather that you have already provided for us in your beautiful Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, feel free to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And we're just going to look at verses 38 through to 42. What you see on screen and what I'm reading is from the ESV translation. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. From this passage, I simply believe we're given three pretty clear encouragements in different aspects of our lives where we're called to be generous and to show radical generosity. The first one being found in verses 38 and 39. I believe we are called to be generous with our forgiveness, especially in verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now let me start by just being really clear here. This is not at all an encouragement or an expectation to put up with any form of domestic violence. God doesn't want or expect anyone to be in that position. For me, I actually believe that while this is the example Jesus uses, that he's actually talking about something far more than just a blow to the face. 
how things were written in these days means that you assume a person is right-handed unless it is specifically uh, specified otherwise. And therefore, if we read this verse, for a right-handed person to slap someone on the right cheek, either they're slapping from behind or they're trying to somehow slap like this. Either way, they're probably delivering a blow that is not full of much power. So the more likely scenario is that this person being referred to has delivered a slap using the back of their hand, which using a slap from the back of the hand by Jewish rabbinic law is to carry double the insult of using one's palm. And so what I think Jesus is addressing here is more than just a simple blow to the face. I think he's saying that as Christians, even if someone should direct the most calculated or the most offensive insult towards you, towards me, then we're not to retaliate and to resent it. Hopefully, you'll never physically be hit in the face. But time and time again, life brings insults to us, both great and small in stature. And Jesus is saying as Christians, we need not to retaliate or resent, but instead we're called to be generous in our forgiveness. Again, just one more disclaimer. This passage and I are not talking remotely about domestic violence. Forgiveness is not at all the same as acceptance. They are very different. And God and our church here does not expect anyone to remain in an unhealthy position in that way. So if that is a position you sadly find yourself in, please come and chat to one of our church leaders after the service and we'd love to uh, listen to you and just help you get the care and support you might need. But what I think this is an encouragement for is for us to be generous in forgiveness rather than acceptance. Because let's be honest, sadly, there are people in this life who wrong us. There are plenty of people who we simply don't get along with. There are plenty of people who may not be physically violent towards us, but they insult us. They talk behind our backs. They spread lies about us. Maybe they make unfair accusations about you in different contexts. They might steal from us. And humanly, we want to retaliate. We want to resent them. We, we, we want to do all we can to have nothing to do with them. Or in some cases, especially if you're a sibling a lot of the time, we want to get back at them. They treated me this way. They, they deserve it. It's the type of attitude we can often carry. But Jesus says that as Christians who are residents in the kingdom of God, we are called to different standards. And that we are to be generous and to show radical generosity with our forgiveness. And that means extending this generous forgiveness even when it might cost us something. Even when it might hurt. Even when we don't want to hand out this form of forgiveness. It means we seek to forgive instead of retaliate towards people who we want nothing to do with. Because if we're honest, there are people in our lives who we just don't want to forgive at times. And that's what makes this radical generosity to live as residents of God's kingdom. At times, it's going to cost us something. 
So how do you go with being generous and showing forgiveness? Is your first reaction to show resentment or to retaliate? Do you find it easier to forgive some people over others? Are there people in your life you can think of right now that you resent or that you haven't forgiven and you need to do so with? After all, God never calls us to do something that he himself hasn't already done. And regardless of whatever you have experienced in your life, and I am not trying to downplay any of that, but to simply put it in an eternal perspective, no one, no one has been as radically generous in showing forgiveness to people who don't deserve it than God has himself towards us, towards me, towards you towards this world. Called to be generous with our forgiveness. We're also called to be generous with our possessions. Verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. This point here actually speaks to lawsuits as well as to possessions. Jesus' point in a nutshell about the lawsuits is that as Christians, we should not think about or cling as tightly to our rights, but as to our duties. We, as followers of him, should not firstly think of our privileges, but rather of our responsibilities to love and care for people. But it also focuses on our possessions in the tunic, practically. Christians, as residents of God's kingdom, need to hold our possessions loosely. We need to realize that whatever we have is, in fact, even if we might feel it, it's in fact not our own, but is God's. James chapter 1, 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above. In Deuteronomy 8, 18, says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Our money, our cars, our homes, our food, our video game consoles, whatever it might be. These are all gifts that have been given to us from God, that are on loan to us from God. And he expects us to steward them wisely. Everything we work for is only temporary. We can't take anything with us when we leave this earth. And even when we might feel as though we are the ones who have earned and we are the ones who deserve to call these things ours, then we need to remember who created us. We need to remember who graciously breathes air into our lungs every second of every day. We need to remember the one who actually enables us with gifts and talents to be able to fulfill these duties and to have the ability to work for these things. God does. We only have what we have because God has enabled us to have them. And so let's make sure we're stewarding our things as we should. Now, this doesn't mean to be reckless and to just give everything and anything away to anyone But it does mean not being as precious or holding on quite as tightly to our stuff, to our possessions, as what we might be doing now or what we may have done in the past. And to be honest, my experience here at Mitchum Baptist Church has been a real encouragement that people actually get this point 
and at least the people I've interacted with here have got the fact that this is not theirs. I'm sure you're involved in connect groups. I'm somewhat involved in a small group community where if anyone's in need, the offers to go out of their way to drop meals around, to care for people, even when it's inconvenient for the families to do so, the offer's there. Just a couple of weeks ago, Amanda and I had some issues with uh, one of our cars and it was out of action and it was at the time I was away on a week-long mission trip and we just needed two cars at the time and we couldn't use ours while it got fixed. Straight away, not to name people, but we, we had an offer from Matt and Holly to use one of their cars for a few days while ours got fixed. Um, we didn't need it in the end. It would have been inconvenient for them, but they were willing to make do so that they could help us out. And that's just one example, and I'm sure many of you can think of many examples of people from this community being generous and helping out with the things they have. But this is that sort of radical generosity we're called to as Christians. We're here to help others where we see a need. In speaking to Pastor John this week about uh, what sort of concept was he after for this message, and I'll probably get it wrong, but he asked a a sort of question um, as to, uh, is your back door wider than your front door? And, And he was speaking about and implying that, are you more generous and willing to give away and use the things that you already have to care for others? Or is your front door wider and your bigger concern is more with what, what can you get next? What else is coming into your possession? What else are you bringing into your home? When we hold our possessions usely, loosely, and we're radically generous with what we have, even when it hurts and might cost us something, God never lets us go without. God always ensures that we never go without. When we give, we are blessed by God because it's how he has designed us and he expects us to live. He entrusts us with possessions that are ultimately his. And when we view them that way as his and not as ours, we will then use them in the way he intends, in radical generosity. So how do you honestly view your stuff? How do you honestly view your cars? your homes, your phone. Yeah, we can sit here and I know I can easily sit here and think, oh yeah, that, that's true. They're God's, they're not yours. But practically, do I actually live that way? What does my heart actually think? How do you view the stuff that you have right now? Are they yours or are they God's? The good telling point is asking the question that Pastor John did. Which door is more important to you? Which door is wider Are you more concerned about all the things coming into your possessions or how you can use what you have to help others in need? And lastly, oh, sorry. We're called to be generous with our work ethic. Verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Where my Bible says forces, some translations you might have in front of you might say compels. And that's a better translation because it's from the original Greek. The Greek term for compels, which was used here, actually means specifically 
any kind of impressment into the service of the occupying power. Now, in an occupied country, for instance, the citizens were compelled to serve the power that was occupying it. Uh, They were compelled to um, build things, they were compelled to supply food, to carry bags, whatever. And sometimes the the occupying power completely abuses this and leads in a way and abuses this right in um, tyrannical or unsympathetic ways. Just like back in Jesus' day in Palestine, at any moment, a Jew would be compelled to serve the Romans, who were the controlling power. So then what Jesus is saying here is that, suppose your masters come to you and they compel you to be a guide or to be a porter for one mile, then don't do that mile with a bitter and obvious resentment. Go two miles with cheerfulness and with a good grace. What he's saying is don't always be thinking of your own liberty to do whatever you like. Instead, always be thinking of your duty and your privilege to be of service to others. When a task is laid upon you, even if it's unreasonable, don't do it as a grim duty to be resented, but do it in service to be gladly rendered. Now, without getting into politics at all, We at least don't have a power such as the Roman Empire controlling us to that degree. But we do have parents. And many of us have jobs, and with jobs come bosses in our workplaces. They might give us tasks to do, some of which might even seem unfair. But there's always two ways of doing things, right? A person can either do the bare minimum and to get the task done without doing a tiny bit more and do it with the barest minimum of efficiency. Or they can get the task done with a smile, with gracious courtesy, and instead of just doing the task, they can actually do it well. The latter is the attitude that as Christians we're called to have in regards to our work ethic. Ultimately, we are to forget to a degree, our bosses and whoever the controlling powers might be, and we are to remember that in all we do, we are actually doing it for God. Therefore, we're called to be radically generous with our work ethic. If we are given something to do at work, we are not to do it grumbling. We are not to even just get the task done, but we're to do it with a sense of determination as if we're doing it for God himself. So this means that at times, going over and above even when we don't feel like it, pulling extra hours at times to help out the business, or doing things that may not be our direct responsibilities to help out a fellow co-worker. My old principal at Melbourne School of Theology, Tim Myers, always had this line of, Paul, you, you play to an audience of one. You play to an audience of one being God. His point was, Paul, in a way, it doesn't matter who else is around. Ultimately, God is your audience. He sees how you live your life. You play to him. And so your boss might even be a jerk. Can you say that in church? I hope so. But God is the only one who matters. And he calls us to be radically generous in our work ethic. But why? 
So as we begin to wrap up, well, why should we obey this call to be radically generous? Well, I believe it's because God showed us what true radical generosity looked like first. John 3.16 is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but inherit eternal life. I believe that generosity is an expression of love. And God is the ultimate picture of generosity as he gave his very own son for our salvation. Now, us giving and us being generous with our forgiveness, with our possessions, our money, our time, our work ethic, us doing all these things does not earn us eternal life. Let me be clear on that. It doesn't. But it is a powerful response to our love for God. Why be generous for God's kingdom? Well, because he was first generous to us. And our generosity is an expression of our love for our Savior. So where is God calling you to be radically generous in your life? Is he calling you to use your possessions for his kingdom more rather than for your own kingdom? Is he calling you to use your finances in a certain way? Or to work with a better attitude in the workplace as though you're working for him, your direct boss. Maybe when you're down the street at the shops, maybe you've walked some, past someone, a man or a woman that looks like they're hard done by and they're begging for money or whatever it means. And maybe you've wrestled with, oh, should I approach them? Should I not? Should I give to them? Should I not? What should I do? And in the end, you've ended up walking past. Oh, I've done that plenty of times. And you start questioning, oh, was that God prompting me? Was it just me? No, this and that. And you've ended up walking past without doing anything. Well, maybe next time you're down the street and you feel this prompting from the Holy Spirit, that we do stop, even if we don't really have that much time. And we check in with them. Maybe it means going and buying them a coffee and a muffin. And the band can come up. I'm almost done. How can you and your family not just be generous, but be radically generous and show generosity even where it might cost you something to do so? Because that's the kind of generosity that residents of God's kingdom are called to. And ultimately, God set the example for us first with the greatest act of generosity that the world has ever seen. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much that you have been so generous to us with all we have, but first and foremostly through the giving of your son Jesus in our place for our sins so that we no longer need to be separated from you but instead can live for all of eternity in a relationship with a God who loves us, cares for us, trust us and who is radically generous. So Lord, help us to use our generosity with the things we have, our time, our finances, our work ethic, our forgiveness. May we be generous in our lives just as you've called us to be. 
realizing it, that that is an expression of our love for you. God, may we be grateful for the generosity you have shown us and may you help us to show that to others as residents of your kingdom. Amen. Thanks, Christine. Thank you, Paul.